Acts chapter 14, we'll be doing verses 1 through 28, which is the whole chapter. And we'll be looking at the idea of God being the author of success. You know, up until now, we've seen a whole lot of things happen in the book of Acts, uh, not the least of which happens in chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas begin their ministry and start going on what is the first missionary journey. As they go through things, they start to encounter the first conflict and persecution in chapter 13. And so when we find them in chapter 14, as they start to minister at two places, Iconium, Lystra, and then to Derbe, we see how the Lord uses the persecution to demonstrate his faithfulness in their lives. And as we see the Lord doing this, he's equipping them, not just to minister to people, in times where it's easy and where people are receptive, but also um, when people are actively against them. And so we're going to look at a couple different things here as we go through chapter 14. First off, in verses 1 through 6, we're going to see God's blessings at Iconium. Uh, Secondly, in verses 7 down to the beginning of verse 20, we'll be looking at God's deliverance at Lystra. And... Lastly, we'll be looking from verses 20 down to 28 as God strengthens, uh, God becomes, well, obviously the strength of these converts as they're ministering to people that have come to the faith. So let's read here the first six verses, God's blessing at Iconium. It says here now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconium, and to the surrounding region. It says, and they were preaching the gospel there. And so we see a few things here in verses 1 through 6. First off, notice that God blessed them, and, and in particular God blessed their obedience to him as they're ministering. Look at verse 1. We see Paul and Barnabas arriving to Iconium, and they do what they do and they go preach at the synagogue of the Jews. So Iconium was an important city, okay? And it was situated on the Roman road uh, called the Ephesian Road. And this town was, by and large, a Greek town. And because it was on this major route, it just had a ton of people there, okay? In fact, um, the town still exists today. It's called Konya. And so as they get there, they get to this large center and they go first to the Jews, which was the custom of Paul and Barnabas. And they were faithfully serving. They sought out the opportunity. They didn't didn't wait for it to come to them. I think that's such a lesson as we see these guys go through their ministry. They always are looking to serve and be active. You know, too often as believers, um, we fall into living passive lives for Christ. And we're not looking for ways to go and bless others for him. We're not 
looking for those conversations that might be just around the corner. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of faithful servants are we of God? Are we going out there looking for those opportunities? Or are we trying? Are we hoping that they're not going to find us because then, you know, then we're going to have to stick our necks out, or then we're going to have to remember a thing or three that we've heard in some studies or that we've read over the years. And so we see them serve here, and it says that there were fruit. It says, many of the Jews and Gentiles believed. It says, because of the teaching, because of what they did, because of their obedience, God blessed it. And it's interesting that as the Lord blessed it, it starts to bear fruit there in, in Iconium. We see that it's this mixed multitude of people. You have the Jews that come to Christ and the Gentiles who were either converts to Judaism or they hear about it and they start asking questions. At any rate, the Lord starts growing this thing. And it's not through any method other than the fact that these were people reliant on the Holy Spirit. That these were people that allowed God to direct them and show them how they should go ahead and serve. And, you know, as we serve Christ, we need to know that the most important thing as we serve is that we are filled with the Spirit and that we're following the standard of the Word of God. And that as we share the Word of God, both in what we say and more importantly, even in what we do, that people respond and they come to know him. They see that alive in us. They see that those words match up with the things that we're doing. And that has to be the primary thing in our life. You know, we come to studies, we talk about, you know, being in the word all the time uh, precisely for this fact. And as that happens in, in our lives, what we're guaranteeing really is that the work that's happening in our lives isn't going to be us. That it's going to be the Lord. Because as that word takes root and starts to bear fruit in our lives, it's going to spread out so that other people start to see that. So that we then are active in our faith. And people, well, they get saved. They get encouraged. You know, in whatever capacity the Lord calls you to serve, that you're diligent in doing that. And we see that this idea of how the Lord is the author of what's going on with them is really critical later on when they encounter that the persecution, and Paul eventually, this is a famous chapter where Paul gets, gets stoned to death. We see that in the middle of this success, that there was fierce opposition to their ministry. Look at what it says here in verse 2. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So that the Jews who didn't believe then went ahead and started intentionally turning people against them. Even it says in the language, it inciting them to violence. So that they were perpetrating evil. Okay, this is, this is way heavier than stuff that we deal with, generally speaking. And um, maybe better for us, right? Maybe we're not <laughs> where we should be or the Lord hasn't prepared us for that kind of thing. But you know, the hatred that the world feels for believers is something that they don't understand. It moves them to think and to say things that by all accounts are nonsensical. Uh, their criticisms of believers are very rarely more than skin deep. Yeah. And God help us if we give them any reason beyond that. But as they act out, we understand that this acting out, even if it's something that is virulent, even if it's something that's intense in your life, that it's a spiritually motivated act. 
And when we keep that in mind, it really helps us to deal with the difficulties in our lives. When someone is actively set against you, whether it's that person at work that just doesn't let anything die for whatever reason, you know, or whether it's that family member that always asks you these questions, hoping that you're going to finally put your foot in your mouth. That these things are spiritually motivated. As much as we would like to pin them on a person, the Lord says that's not the case. You know, in Ephesians 6.12, it reminds us, Paul, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I got to think that was as real to Paul as it's ever been to anybody with the things that were documented in his life for our benefit. And this is true here as the Lord starts to bless them. So we shouldn't see that opposition as something that invalidates our service to the Lord. Okay? In fact, very much the opposite. It said, and it's, it's an interesting thing that happens here. It says, therefore, it says, they stayed there a long time. And that's a good thing. They didn't let it distract them from their purpose. And that is precisely as it should be for us as believers, that we stay that course, that we're consistent in him, in him, not just because that's what we do. And it says they stood there, it says, and they spoke boldly in the Lord in verse 3, so that they continued to share. I would imagine maybe even more so they had opportunity now to preach. It catches people's attention, right, as the others start to act out. It says people start to say stuff about Christians. Somebody who might not even be, been thinking about it, all of a sudden it's like, what, huh? It gives you the opportunity to be able to speak to someone. Notice as they're doing this, the Lord uses it. It tells us here that the Lord bore witness to the word through the signs and wonders now done by Paul and Barnabas. Okay, so that the Lord used them and their actions and their submission to the Holy Spirit to really demonstrate exactly how valid their word and their gospel was. When you saw what they did and how they ministered to people, they said, well, this, this thing's real. This is not fake. You know, the word of God has even greater value, you know, than, than before because they were committed to the Lord here. And the people heard it and they believed it. And then they see these difficulties happen. They see these people walk and they say, well, how, how, can, how can this not be legit? It doesn't make any sense for people to act like that. You know, I always wonder when, when I'm reading passages like this, especially in the book of Acts, so many things are going on with these, with these people's lives. But what would I have done? You know, What would we have done knowing that we were the object of hatred in a, in a very real way? Because Satan would love nothing more than to dissuade us from uh, you know, literally flexing our spiritual muscle. Okay? Not that it's ours, but it, talk about performance enhancing drugs, it totally is because it's totally fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is the one that's working and active. And, and that distraction can take so many different shapes, whether it's active opposition or whether it's just, you know, the cares of this world that distract us. They both, in effect, do the same thing. We have to be careful about the discouragement that can set in and keep us from living and acting faithfully. Just because we've shared with somebody and they haven't come to the Lord yet doesn't mean we stop sharing with them. That doesn't mean we continue, we stop being examples to them, but on the contrary, we hopefully do it even more. And we trust, and we do this, because we believe that the Lord can overcome that kind of thing. We know that the Lord can work. 
It's in his hands. And we're hoping that the Lord is breaking down people and that people will eventually be receptive to it. You know, it's interesting uh, when we think about the way that the world acts against believers, against what the Lord is doing. It reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm chapter 2. In Psalm 2, 1 through 9, he says this. He asks the question, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. It says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, we have to remember where things end up. We have to remember that we have access to everything, you know, by virtue of Christ dying for us and our submission to him. The world's opposition to the Lord is a failure, ultimately. We understand that. That's something we understand about our lives, you know, before Christ. That it was empty. All the things that we did didn't have any, any value whatsoever. And so when these non-believing Jews start stepping up and actively opposing Paul and Barnabas, they have to remember this in their walk. In fact, it tells us here that part of the effect here is that the city was divided so that we had part of the people siding with the Jews who were against them and part with, with the apostles, you know, with Paul and Barnabas here as they're serving. Okay. And this, this is the, the distraction piece as it really weeds things out. You know, difficulty does that, doesn't it? Difficulty does that. Whenever there's something awful that happens, there's people at church. Like, I, I, I got to go pray, <laughs> you know. They don't know why, but they figure there's something. And then give it a few weeks and it disappears, right? Wait for the next big tragedy, the next big terrorist attack, whatever it is, and people will show up. Thank the Lord that you're faithful. Okay, that's a good thing. It says here that God gave Paul and Barnabas knowledge in order to preserve them. It says that they were divided, and then verse 5, and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers to abuse and stone them, it says they became aware of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconium, and to the surrounding region. So that there was this violent attempt to really abuse them and kill them, ultimately, is what they wanted to do. Because you're not stoning somebody to give them a pat on the back. And so this coalition got together and they, they had it all planned down. This is not the first time things like this have happened or will happen to Paul. And they quite literally rushed the apostles out of there. Okay. And they wanted to kill them. They wanted to get after them. And uh, it's a pretty frightening point when it gets to this. But it says before this can happen, it says that they were made aware of it in verse 6. So that they fled just, you know, the Lord saved them as they fled just in time. How he lets them know things. How he gets them out of there. The Lord's faithful to you. You know, we're not going to leave this place until the Lord's done with us. 
And I think we see that demonstrated here in this chapter in the life of Paul and Barnabas, that the Lord wanted to be able to use them. Because we understand that salvation is of the Lord, both for eternity and in the now, as we're dealing with issues in our own lives, as we're dealing with people who are frustrating and, and all the litany of things that happen. You know, he, he's protecting you. He's protecting you when it's time. And when he doesn't protect you, it's because it's appropriate too. Because he needs you to be able to be awake, to see something, whatever it is that he's trying to get through to us. And so then, despite the way it looks like on our end, we understand that all things are working to good for us, like it talks about in Romans 8, 28. And it's absolutely imperative that as believers, we were walking in him as we serve. That we're not just doing the things that we do because it's what we do. It's not the habit. Okay. And that's where it ends. We don't want that. Because there's a lot of things that we can do that's just because it's what we've scheduled in there. Because it's just because, well, what else are we going to do? Because in him, we have the strength to live a much more vibrant life in him. And as we do that, the Lord is going to give us that ability to be able to withstand whatever the enemy is going to throw at us. And that's why these guys were able to stick around. That's why they were able to continue to serve until the Lord had to like pull them out and say, that's it, you know, you were, you're, this won't be any good if we leave you here. And he takes them out. And it says that they come to, uh, to Lystra it says, and to Derby. And, you know, Lystra was a, a really different place than Iconium because Lystra is a, a small town, okay, um, had a very small Jewish population. In fact, the people who lived in Lystra were mostly kind of working class people, people that were uneducated, people who were all kind of, of of the same tribe mostly. They even spoke their own language. And so as they get there, we see that God works a different work here in verse 7 down to 20 at Lystra. It says here that they were preaching the gospel there at Lystra. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was setting a cripple from his, was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking. Paul Observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet, as his any leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing them. We'll stop there for a second. Notice Paul's example here in walking in the spirit as he gets there. He gets there and like always, he and Barnabas walk in there faithfully preaching the gospel. And that, that was that was their focus. 
Uh, I guess they could easily have been looking backwards, right? Saying, we just got out of that one, you know. And sometimes that's our tendency as people. So that our situations get the better of us and they help us, well, to lose our focus rather than doing what the Lord would have us do. What the Lord would have us focus on. Sometimes as believers, we, we do need spiritual blinders, don't we? So that we can keep that focus so that the situation doesn't overcome us. You know, even in the midst of success, that can happen. And this can only happen as a result of really placing your trust in Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 4, and verse 2, he tells Timothy this about preaching the word. He says, preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. You have to convict, convince, rebuke, exhort. He says, with all long-suffering teaching. He says, Timothy, you be ready. He says, you be active. You go fulfill your ministry, like he tells him you know, earlier in the epistle. And that really is what the Lord would have each and every one of us do. You know, are you preaching in the way that you conduct your business? That, that's important. You know, with the, um, when we're speaking and serving with the youth, so often it's difficult for them to think about and to really allow themselves to have conversations, you know, about the Lord. And it, it's frightening for them for a whole lot of different reasons. Uh, maybe not so different from us. And we encourage them, say, hey, you, you make sure you're walking right. Because when that does happen, the Lord puts you on the spot and says, hey, this is it. All of a sudden, you've got to do it for real. All of a sudden, you have to make sure that what you say matches up with what you do. Because if you're out there running around, you know, cursing up a storm or acting like a jerk, and then they said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And you're going to a retreat? You know, they're going to look at you like, what? Church? You know, what does that mean? Hmm. And sometimes we find ourselves in that same kind of place. But it all starts with having that conviction that we need to be ready. That we're eager to be able to open up about him. It tells us here that as they're serving, the Lord provides an opportunity with this man who was listening. You know, this cripple. And of course, they all know he was a cripple. It tells us very clearly here. He was a cripple from the time that he was born. And it's a small town. Everybody knows each other. And as he was listening to the word, he clearly responded to it. The Lord, Lord got a hold of his heart. Okay. And so that as this happens, we see that their success here is coming from the preaching of the word. Okay. That they're sharing. And all kinds of folks are listening and watching the same way that this happens in our lives. That as we're serving, as we're doing what we do on a daily basis at work or at school or wherever we're at, that it's ministering to people unbeknownst to us. And that commitment on our part to the Lord is in full display there. And that devotion and sharing. Notice as Paul does this here, it says that he sees this man's reaction. So that the man came to faith in such a way that it was noticeable to Paul who saw it happen and then he reaches out to the man. You know, sometimes you talk to people. And some people are so given over to the Lord, that it's kind of a, it's astounding to us, yeah. Even if you've been in the Lord for a long time, like, man, that person is like, that person's on fire. And you know it. There's no doubt about it, okay. They are not old and tired in the Lord, you know. They are active, Okay regardless of what their station is in life. 
And that really is where we should be. You know, when I think about people who are new believers and how they're, they're just so cool. And, and this guy, this guy was just like that. It's, it, I mean, the, the switch just flipped for him. You know, I pray that's what the Lord can see in us and what people see in us. It says that Paul called out to him here and told him, stand up. And the guy just jumped up immediately and started walking. So he, he was healed, and this is a healing because of his faith in Christ. It wasn't anything special that Paul did. Paul saw it. The Lord told Paul, man, do it. The guy told him, Stay, get up. And he popped up, man. I'm telling you, this would blow my mind seeing something like this. It would freak us out. You know, some of you have been privileged enough to see the Lord do some crazy things in people's lives. And, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And the Lord is doing those kinds of things inside of us all the time. And that's important for us to remember. Okay? The fact that his mercies are new every morning for us is an absolute miracle. Okay? That he will forgive us and take it away and say, all right, get up, you can keep going. That's just as big as giving somebody legs brand new like this guy. You know, it all comes back to that faith in Christ as always being the key to our walk with him. And quite literally, this man was given the ability to walk. And we understand that this is all from the Lord. And Paul, it really wasn't his idea. This is all through the Holy Spirit speaking to him, working through him as he understands that he's just the conduit. But notice that to the untrained eye, they, they think it's Paul here. And that's why they misinterpret the source. It says when they see it happen, it says the people raise their voices and they said, the gods have come among us. They look just like us. Look at this. It's like seeing Mary in a tortilla here. You know, they think it's some kind of a sign. It says that they shouted and they named them. They say, you're like, you're like Hermes and, and you're like Zeus. And I, I don't know which one you want to be. But this is what they were calling them. You know, it, it does illustrate something interesting here in that you, we see the way that they functioned as a team. A little bit of insight here. Or Barnabas probably a little quieter, you know, and Paul is the one who was the mouthpiece, and that's why they call him a Hermes, who was the messenger god in Roman and Greek, in Greek mythology, and Zeus, you know, was the, the king of the gods, if you will. And it says that the people then try to make sense of it, because they're trying to connect it back to what they know. Okay, that's, that's what they're doing. They're making sense of it in the only way that they know how. Okay, And so they say, well, this has got to be like this. You know, to boot, some of the background here that these people were familiar with is they, were, they knew legends of things like uh, Zeus and Hermes who would travel from place to place and they would stay and seek lodging in places. And um, there was one legend where a thousand homes turned them away. And when one poor couple let them in and they were hospitable, that the gods rewarded them by turning their home into a temple and allowing them to uh, then live forever as trees instead of dying. I guess that's a good thing. And the people might very well have been familiar with stories like this. We're like, oh, this is a big deal. You know, we're doing good things. The gods have rewarded us. And that's a very, you know, normal thing for people to think. I mean, you'll hear people, hear people say stuff like this. You know, they're like, oh, you know, it's like the universe just reached out, you know, and did this. And it, 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 they're trying to say what they're saying, I guess. I don't know. They're trying to attribute it to something beyond what they understand. Of course, they don't know the living God like we do. 
And like it says in Isaiah, that our God can, can actually see and speak and do and is not some kind of carved image that sits there. You know, but he's living and he's powerful. You know, it says that these people get in such an uproar that word spreads here. And it says the priest of Zeus shows up there and he brings oxen and gar. And he was like, we're going to kill some animals right here. We're going to sacrifice them okay, for these guys. You know, Paul and Barnabas, as this is going on, the thought is that they didn't initially know exactly what they were saying because they might not have understood all of their language. This was a small place. So it's not like Paul and Barnabas were letting this happen and then they let it get to this point, okay? Because um, this was pretty far along if they're, they're, they're freaking out and saying these things and then somebody has a time to go get the temple priest and then bring all of this stuff and start sharpening his knife, okay? You can imagine going down and ministering in Mexico and not speaking Spanish. By the time you realize what's going on, you'd be like, hey, whoa, whoa, this isn't right. You can't do this kind of stuff. And that really is the position that they were in. It really wasn't until the priests of Zeus got here that they realized what exactly uh, was going on, that they, these people wanted to show their version of reverence. and really shows exactly how far off these people were because all they knew were, were these heathen things, you know. Sometimes uh, when people see us living our lives for Christ, just in simple obedience like we're called to do, they try to attribute what we do to other things that make sense to them. You know, they'll tell us things like, you know, you, you just, you do good. You do good. And it will be easy for us to say like, I do. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm not a bad person. And the Bible tells us something different. We can't let that happen. We have to take that opportunity to let people know it is because of what the Lord's doing in our lives. That it is the reason why things are different. As much as we would like to be able to, to say the, to take credit, it's just, it's not the case. And we know that. And notice that's what Paul and Barnabas' example is from here on out, where they point to God being the author here. It says when they start speaking here, it says they tell them, why are you guys doing these things? We are men the same nature as yours, and we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are in them. You know, when Paul and Barnabas saw, uh, saw this, it says they were grieved. They, they ran into the crowd. They tore their clothes when they heard about this. No, no, this is bad. This does not please us, okay? Because they wanted to make sure that God was the one that received the glory, not some demonic you know, th things out there. Okay. And they tell them, they say, we are just, we're just like you guys. D don't think that we're anything different. We are not gods. We would never claim such a thing. We have to know our role as believers. Okay. That we are called to be servants of one another. Just like it talks about, Jesus says in Mark ten forty five when he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And that's exactly what our lives are called to do. And, and sometimes, you know, that's frustrating for some people. But that we're called to submit. We're told, called to give it all up. It says Paul and Barnabas tell them precisely what, what they're preaching. They're preaching against what they're doing. Okay. It says, we, you guys got to stop sacrificing to these idols. This is your error. Okay. Because the God that we preach, he says, the God that we preach is alive. The gods that 
the Greeks have taught you about, that whatever legends that are local that you've learned about are nothing more than just blocks of wood. That's all they are. They're carved stone. They're not active. So that even in correcting the people here and stopping them from what they're doing, they're preaching the gospel anew to them. Because the people reacted to the sign. But it's interesting that the Lord is using that sign that they took for something else to be able to hear the word, maybe with clearer ears this time. You know, these guys always had an eye toward the gospel. And they always pointed it back to the Lord. That's exactly what we do. That's what the Holy Spirit does, yeah? The Holy Spirit points back to Christ. And that's what we're called to do continually. It says that, that they really met them where they're at and pointed to this, the one God, okay? Which is in direct opposition to their pantheon of gods that they believed in. If you know anything about you know, Greek mythology, there's a God for this and a God for that. There's the Olympian gods and there's the other gods and there's like the, the minor, minor gods and they're just, you know... Little guys busting around doing all kinds of different things. And he says, no. He says, there's one, and that's it. He says, that's why we're running around, going from place to place, talking to you guys. And they said it in direct opposition. They said, he is the creator of everything, right? Heaven, earth, the sea, everything that lives in it. He's separate from each and every other God that you can possibly fashion on your own. Our God is different. Our God is real. And we thank God for that. You know, how often we need reminders of the God that we serve, that he is greater. And that we make a point to tell people that our God is different. You know, that we don't go to church out of empty religion, yeah. But we do it out of, out of a real relationship with him. And people don't understand that. And they're not going to understand that, honestly, until they get saved and they realize what it's all about. In the same way that no one here understood it apart from Christ or understands it apart from Christ. But when he grabs a hold of you, it turns your world upside down. And thank God that it does. Notice Paul tells him here that, uh, that God had in previous generations allowed people to follow their own ways, but now that he's borne witness in the way that he's providing even for their lives. So Paul is really talking about, hey, the fact that God has kept you until this time is evidence of him. Okay, That God shows you mercy by giving you what you need is evidence that he loves you. And of course, he's going to segue into, into Christ here. And Paul's pointing out, this is exactly the way that it works. I mean, it reminds me of what Paul writes in Romans where he talks about how you know, everything around people in, in nature really speak to the God that created everything. Yeah. And that's so true. So instead of worshiping gods, he's reminding them they should worship the one living God. And this is their call really to salvation. Okay, And it says, this is what you guys need to do. He, he wants you guys to come into a relationship with him. And it says the people were still kind of freaking out in verse 18. It says that they, that these saints, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So it was just enough to stop them from doing it right at that moment. They were in that kind of a fervor. They were worked up to that degree. Well, it could have been so tempting for them to just soak it all in. Maybe kind of give up and throw your hands. Ah, let them do it. And just walk away. They could, there's a bunch of things they could have done instead of what they did. But they didn't. Okay. 
Paul and Barnabas were humble guys. Okay. They were uncomfortable with, with that kind of attention, rightly so, okay. because they understood their role in Christ and they understood where they stood in relationship to him. That humility will keep you grounded. Yeah. And thank the Lord that he provides that for us. In Isaiah 57, Isaiah 57, 15, says this, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him who has a contrite heart, says, and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And that's where we have to find ourselves as we're walking. Okay? So that when we do stumble, that we repent and we, we, we allow that to diminish. Because I think even as we mess up, the Lord reminds us, you know, not of our sin, but so much as, you know, our imperfection. It's very true. You know, the Lord is, allows these things to minister to us. So that, that humility, because we know who he is and we know our impurity, keeps us grounded. It's really the mark of a believer. And so much in the church is not like that, right? You know, and we have to guard against it continually. Notice as this happens, um, God delivers Paul from the issue here. In verse 19, it tells us that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium then came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So we have, we have a, a massive turn here of events. So that at one point, these people want a sacrifice to him. And then the very next, people arrive to foment things to the point so that they, they kill him. Okay. Those, these Jews from Antioch and Iconium finally chased Paul and Barnabas down. They were so bent on persecuting him that they just got all the people and used that, that fervor against them. And very much, quite literally, like it says, they they dragged Paul out. Says they, they stoned him, really. They stoned him until he was dead. Paul was done. All right? He wasn't taking a nap. He wasn't unconscious. Okay? And they even left him for dead outside of the city. This probably wasn't the first time that they'd stoned somebody. I think they'd know what a, a dead person looked like. And, and they did exactly that. And, of course, stoning is not so nice as we would have portrayed in, in movies. Okay? It's a brutal, brutal thing. Okay? And they took Paul out, and, says, and they killed him. And then it says when the, when the disciples uh, gathered around him in verse 20, it says he rose up and he went into the city. It says, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Lord wasn't done with him. You know, God raised Paul up from the dead. Later on, Paul would write about how he was serving God in a myriad difficulties. And he lists the things that have happened in his life, you know. And then in the middle of all those, he says, stoned. And then he keeps on going, like if it's no big deal. Which is just, just so nuts. It's a heck of a list. The Lord is faithful to us in all situations, yeah. I think even in the, in the spots where we think we have the least hope that we can rely on the work that he's doing in our lives to be fruitful for us and for others. I can't imagine the kind of a testament it was for the believers as they went out there to gather him, that he gets up and walks right back into the city with them. Okay? 
and that he didn't flee and say, that's it, I'm done with these guys and shake the dust off of his, off of his cloak and off of his sandals and then keep going somewhere else. Okay? But he went back to go serve. Okay? But that's the God that he served. That's the God that he served. You know, Jesus would have gladly taken you know, Judas's repentance if he would have been so inclined. And it's the same thing in the way that he deals with us. You know, how big, how big is your God on a daily basis? Because if he's big enough to handle things like this, he's surely big enough to handle the issues in our life, regardless of that. Uh, that might not mean the Lord's going to have you win a lottery if you're having financial issues. But it does mean the Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to take care of the things, you know, if we continue to walk the way we should. Notice, though, as Paul gets up and serves, that God uses uh, Paul to go and strengthen people who come to the Lord in Derby and elsewhere. Look at verse 20, the second half. It says, he, The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, and when they preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, and returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, they strengthened the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that the truth, huh? They continue serving. I guess Paul figured the door was closed at Lystra. And so he goes to Derby and preaches there with Barnabas. And this faithfulness is so important for us to take note of. You know, we need to realize exactly how serious we should be in following God and how dedicated that it, it does cost us. But we understand that as believers that it costs us, but really anything that, that serving Christ costs us doesn't matter because we're already dead in Him. We've given our lives up. It's His now. We've put that old man to death. We've submitted our lives to Him. And that's how we serve God, as those who are already dead. You know, Paul writes about this when he writes to the Corinthians, who we remember were just a bunch of carnal Christians. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 to 12, he writes this. He says about the believer, we're always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. I know he's pointing to that idea that we're living that life of death. Okay. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so then death is working in us. He says, but life in you, and if you remember, he's talking to the Corinthians, says they were living in such a way where they, they, they conveniently forgot that part of what their calling was. We're like, no, we, got, you know, we, have, we have this good thing and this good thing. Right? It's all the carnal stuff that they were really pointing to, right? And they were using you know, things that they made sound spiritual to cloak their carnality. And their dedication really to this life, unfortunately. And Paul's reminded them, no, that's not true. He says, when we served among you, it wasn't like that. And, and you know, Paul reiterates a lot of the same themes that he talks about in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, we, we live the death. Okay. And that's the way that, that we serve. That the life of Jesus, like he says, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And that life is one of giving up. Okay. That one of self-sacrifice. Okay. So then he says, and he makes that contrast death is working in us to what degree are you giving up for christ today to what degree are you willing to give things up for the lord that answer might change from day to day huh okay but 
that is what the Lord wants us to consider on a daily basis, that we remind ourselves, okay, that we would live for him with, with abandon, really. Notice here that as Paul and Barnabas continue to serve, their focus is on encouraging the, the brethren in verse 22 here. It says that when they get to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, they start coming back around, okay, they do so in order to strengthen them, to exhort them. They want these churches to continue to grow in Christ so that the seed was planted. And they're making sure that there's watering even afterwards. Okay. They even went back to these cities where they were persecuted. You know, I think these things are listed here just so that we can see that, that they weren't afraid because they had confidence in God. Okay. I mean, how much worse is it going to get for Paul? They've already stoned him. You know, the model in Acts, guys, is always to preach, uh, to preach salvation to people and then to teach them about the faith. And this is what we try to do. Yeah, this is what we try to do. This is what we try to do as a body of Christ. This is what we try to do as individuals. Okay? That we share with people the good news and as people come to the Lord, that we encourage them and we hope that they grow and we teach them and show them the word and pray for them and there are examples for them. And this is what Paul and Barnabas are modeling here. That as they circle back around, they want to make sure that they're grounded and rooted. You know, as believers, we each might have different roles in, in someone's life. Um, we're not all going to get to go out on missionary journeys like Paul and Barnabas, as much as sometimes we might want to. But the Lord might use you to plant a seed in someone's life. And you might not ever know that until we're, you know, on the other side of heaven, right? Or you might be the one who gets to water a seed once it's been planted. But irrespective of where the Lord has called you to minister to somebody and what stage in their life, we have to make sure that, that we're open to be used and that we are preparing ourselves to be used. So just like when Paul told Timothy to be ready to preach, that we are ready to serve in whatever capacity that is. And sometimes it happens unexpectedly, yeah? Sometimes it starts with a simple question that somebody asks you. And then you get to share. You get to encourage them, you know? And the Lord uses that kind of thing. Are you an encouragement to others in their faith? We pray that you are. So that you, you have an effect on wherever you're serving, whether you're thinking about where you serve in your actual ministry here at church or where you're serving, where you're at at work or with family or at home. You know, we're always reminding the kids that serving is not just what you do in this building, but it's what we do all the time. You know, as we remind them, hey, you're serving when you go take out the trash for your mom and dad, you know. And you decide, hey, I'm going to wash the dishes even though that's not natural for a teenager. That there's just so many ways we can be encouragements to one another. And of course, those things start, you know, with the very basic things at home. It says here that they told them, and I think they believe them when they tell them this, that they had to enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. Because of course, this is what Paul and Barnabas had learned. You know, you can never, you're never going to be able to teach what you haven't learned. And that's just the truth of it. It's just a natural rule. If you don't know math, you're probably not going to be able to show somebody math very well. It, you know, you're like, algebra? Eh, I haven't done that in about 20 years. Okay. I could teach you how to add and multiply maybe. 
but not much beyond that. And the same is true in a spiritual sense here. And Paul and Barnabas, as they're teaching them this, they're not doing it in such a way as to say, look at what we did, but rather they're doing this because they want others to enjoy the blessing that they've enjoyed in Christ, that they've seen what the Lord has been able to do even in them, and they know that these are the kinds of things the Lord would have done in each of the other people's lives as well that they're ministering to. Do you share the things that God has taught you with others? That's really important. That's part of what we talk about when we talk about things like discipleship. You know, It is that very simple idea of the elders being able to share with the ones that are younger, being able to teach them, you know, as they're going through different phases in life and they reach out to you and say, hey, you know, what about this? Or you see that there's that you're able to just impart that wisdom, that you're able to share with them what the Lord has shown you. That is so key. And we realize that our walks with God are these continual blessing to people, both outside the church and inside of the church. Because people are looking for these things. And they want these believers not just to see the blessing, but I think they want these believers to understand that it, this cost of serving Christ is serious. Okay? And that they live soberly as the way that they should. That they would remember the things that Jesus said, like he says in Matthew ten thirty eight that he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You know, that we live that death. And like he tells them in John 16, that these things I've spoken to you, he says that in me you may have peace. It's a good thing. But then he follows it up with this. And in the world you will have tribulation. Says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And, that, and that's the thing that gets us through that difficult part. You know, understanding where it all ends up. We just have to keep that reminder daily. And we understand and trust in the Lord that he's going to bring to pass the things that he's promised to us. Okay, And it might be really quick. Hopefully it is. Hopefully it is. So that we live in the attitude like Paul tells Timothy about in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. When he says that this is a faithful saying. He says that if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. And so we live in faithfulness. We live that committed life to him. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ, like he says later on, in Jesus will we'll suffer persecution. And there will be that difficulty. We have that promise. I think Paul and Barnabas wanted them to remember these things. Okay? That this is a real thing. You know? And it costs you sometimes dearly. But we understand that the reward is just so much better. It doesn't even compare. Notice that they take care of practical concerns here in verses 23 and on. In verse 23, it says that they appointed elders in every church. They prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord whom they believed. And so they set the churches in order. Okay, So that there were elders that came from within the church, which we know is a principle that we see um, throughout the book of Acts. Okay. And of course, these young believers are able to become elders, not because they're necessarily older, but because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They might have all been 20 years old. I don't know. Okay? But the fact of the matter is the Lord separated out people okay, that were given over to him to lead the churches. And this, of course, we know is the model for the church. Okay? This is why Paul encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2 to commit what he's heard to many witnesses and faithful many says who will be able to teach others also. Okay, and this is what we do. 
It's something that, that is so important. So as you teach, as you share with your children and with your circle of influence, that people are being groomed by the Lord to be able to go serve him. And that's a really cool thing when that happens. It says here they join them in prayer and they join them in seeking God together. So for the choosing of the elders, for their dependency on God, no doubt. Okay. It's pretty cool that as Paul and Barnabas sit and they pray with them and they fast with them, that these churches at Antioch and Lystra and Iconium, they get to see that Paul and Barnabas, really they're just like them. Huh? That they are the same. There is something to when you pray with somebody, this, this closeness that happens, yeah? And the Lord works in that. The Lord blesses the person that's getting prayed for and the person is doing the praying. And it's this, this bond and relationship we have as believers. And I think it, it was a cool thing for them to see that. That even Paul and Barnabas, as they're choosing elders, they're just praying to the Lord. Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to do this? Okay. And they're just living in obedience, and that's exactly the way that we live, dependent on Him. Okay. In fact, sometimes, honestly, it's easy to depend on God when things are hard, right? Because we ain't got any other choice, right? But it's, it's, the, it's the opposite when things are easy, huh? We, that's when we have the leisure. That's when the trouble happens, because we're like, oh, things are good, right? I got money in the bank. I got time on my hands, you know? The lawn is mowed. And then you get into stupid things. Hmm. We, we begin to believe our own press. We begin to think that we can handle things. And the reality is that we can. We have to continue that dependency. Notice as they pray and as they set things in order here, that as they leave them in verse 23, it says, they commended them to the Lord whom they had believed. And that's the thing, is that Paul and Barnabas trusted these people with God. They knew it wasn't Paul and Barnabas that was going to do everything for them. Far from it. But it was the Lord that was going to do these things for them. That God is the author of what's going on. The same thing that they had told all these wild people, you know, back here at Lystra when they wanted to sacrifice them. What are you guys doing? It's not us. We're just people. And that continues to be a theme in their lives. And that perspective is so important for us to have as we serve. It tells us here they go on serving here in verse 24. That after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And now, when they would come together and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. And that he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It says, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So that they keep on preaching, even as they're just heading back home. Okay, They kept moving forward, not resting on their laurels. Being busy for the Lord here as they're serving. Because we know what idleness does for us. And you know, that makes them effective. Okay, That they were always available. And they were always looking to do. And that is so important for us as believers to... Have that attitude of being available and being ready. As they do this, as they get back home to Antioch and they're able to encourage others with what the Lord's been doing. This is they report what's been happening and they, as the church gathers together, they tell them that these Gentiles start coming to faith in all of these different places and they bore witness to it. And it says the other people were encouraged by it. 
it really is a blessing to hear God work in other people's lives, yeah? It's a cool, cool thing. And uh, we need that encouragement sometimes. We need that encouragement. We read the word and we serve and we pray and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord then uses each other's lives, sometimes people you don't barely even know, to encourage us. And that was the case here when they got back to Antioch. And it says they went there and it says they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. So they were back with their home church, really, for a time. Before they would go out again, because it wouldn't be there for too long. Before they go on and start serving again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. And our prayer, Lord, is that we would be open and available at all times for the interruptions that you have in store for us that we have no idea of, Lord. Our prayer is that we'd be submitting to your spirit on a daily basis and that we'd allow you to, uh, to be able to use us whatever way you see fit. Thank you for the time together, Lord. Thank you for each and every person here and the blessing that they are to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.